Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. And so this morning we start chapter 11, um, one of most pastors' favorite chapters in the entire Bible, and certainly the most favorite uh, of all of us who have ever taught through this wonderful book. Uh, In the book of Hebrews is chapter 11, the great heroes of faith. We're going to be here for a number of studies uh, this morning, the first seven verses, and in it we will see actually faith defined for us. Now, before we dig into the scriptures here, many people, even Christians, have a very poor understanding of faith. And in fact, even Christians, some of them believe that faith is nothing more than wishful thinking. That it's somehow, if you just, you know, think happy thoughts, you know, it's almost a Disney outlook of it. It's like, well, if I just, you know, if I just kind of think enough on that and have positive energy and I contemplate my navel that something good will happen. Let's start this morning by understanding that the faith that's being spoken of in this chapter is faith in Christ alone. It's faith in God. It's not faith in faith. It isn't you asking God for whatever you want and he's bound to give it to you. It is faith in God. It is furthermore faith in his promises. It's faith in who he is, what he has done, and how he has expressed that to us principally through his word. The promises of God are found in the word of God. And so don't misunderstand this passage as simply describing a bunch of people who thought happy thoughts, they believed God. And they believed God for what God said God would do. Amen? That's real faith. So let's make sure we start there. As we dig in and we see in the very first opening volley here, an actual definition of faith be very helpful for you as you journey with the Lord in your life to understand exactly what faith is and why it's so important. And so would you join me? And we'll pick up here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11. Father, we thank you for these incredible heroes of faith, some very famous and some not so much. But they're all heroes of one thing, faith in you. And we pray that you would move by your spirit to instruct us, encourage us, strengthen us, lift up feeble hands. Lord, strengthen those who have boldness already to even be more bold, that we would be a witness in this world that desperately needs the message of the cross, desperately needs personal relationship with you, Jesus. And so, Lord, strengthen our faith as we read about these great heroes of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. T.S. Eliot, the great poet, the greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his own life on his belief. There's a truth for you. Because if you truly have faith in something, and I mean real, God-honoring faith, you're willing to bet your eternity on it. Because that's actually what you've done by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have, in essence, said with your faith, Lord, I trust you, not with just the here and now. I trust you with the hereafter. You're banking your eternity on your faith. Amen? That's the kind of faith that's in view in this chapter. And now faith. That kind of faith, verse 1, is the substance, please underline that word, 
Anytime you see substance, substance is automatically objective. Amen? If something is substantive, these are the elements of communion. The substance of them I hold in my hand. They represent something spiritually, but there is a substance to these elements of communion. Your faith has substance. Your faith is substantive. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. What kind of hope? Wishful thinking? No, hope for in what God has promised. And the evidence of things not seen, underline evidence. These two words will help you forever to understand true faith. Substantive, it's the evidence of it. What happens when you rest and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? What happens when you believe God's word? What happens? There is evidence. How many of us in this room once were something else and that were was not good? In this room, I'm sure there are drug addicts, and I'm sure there are alcoholics. I'm sure there are adulterers and adulteresses. I'm sure that there are thieves and liars and cheats. I'm sure that in this room, there are all kinds of things that the Apostle Paul described as, and such were, past tense, some of you. Amen? Amen. That's who we were. But by faith, we're not those things anymore. Amen? Jesus did that. And there is substance to it, and there's evidence. The evidence is your new life in Christ. And the substance is how it happened. It's real. It's not fake. If Jesus is a crutch, give me two. Amen? See, people always say, well, you know, Jesus is a crutch. Well, he's the one that holds me up. I don't know about you. There's substance to it. There's evidence for it. It's a beautiful passage to begin with. For by it the elders, the prophets, the Old Testament saints, anyone who's died and gone before us, obtained a good testimony. Were all the saints in the Old Testament perfect? No. Matter of fact, they were kind of abysmal at times. Amen? Abraham... Mm, kind of a liar. Pretty much after his own thing some of the time. David, we don't even have to talk about him. Mess. <laughs> Amen? Think about it. Elijah, the one person of faith. We're going to actually see his life mentioned here. Abraham's life will be mentioned here. How about Jacob? His name means heel catcher. Deceiver. Passes off his birthright for a bowl of beans. You see, faith isn't something you already have. Faith is something that's gifted to you by God. Faith is what you need. That's why when the disciples were in the garden with Jesus, the one thing that Jesus prayed for them, that they would have more faith. You see, faith is an essential in the life of every believer. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. Do you think there was anybody in the first century who understood that? Practically? Scientifically? That behind the visible world, there was an invisible one that was made of electrons and protons and neutrons, atoms, molecules, very advanced, complex molecules, things that make up you, the 240-some-odd amino acids that you need to have to be you. You see, they didn't know any of that, but somehow the Holy Spirit writes these words Framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made with things that are visible. Faith. It's an essential for us. 
Because the truth of the matter is, in life, very few of us have complete and total understanding of virtually anything. If you're here and you're married, can any of you put up your hand and say, I know my spouse perfectly? If you do, we'll talk after certain It's like, that's somebody whom you've lived with for a large, Connie and I have been married for 45 years. And I do not understand things about my wife to this day. I'm still figuring things out. Sometimes people will ask me, well, you know, what's the secret? Well, we think it's going to work out one day. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We love each other deeply and desperately and have been invested for, you know, the better part of half of a century. But I still don't know everything. And she's the most well-studied subject in my life. (laughs) Amen? It's like, "Hmm, how do you know that about you? Now throw in things like nuclear physics. Chemistry. Any part of biology. How about sociology? Anybody figured out why people do what they do? about psychiatry, why our brains work the way they do, that they're actually a computer made out of meat. Think about that one for a second. Your brain is a computer that uses electrical impulses and is able to store them somehow in a non-material way, and hence you have thoughts and abilities to reason. Anybody in here understand that? I don't. I know a little bit about it. You see, we exercise faith every single day in that sense. We just don't like to admit it. We like to think we know everything. And if you can't know your spouse, if you can't know physics... Why is that wood that you're sitting on staying together? It's made out of things that actually oppose one another to some degree. And yet it stays there in that form. It's been there for 20 years. If we can't know the things that we actually know the best, you think we might need a little help with knowing God? Who's infinite? who's all-knowing himself. And so God gives us some insight. We need faith. I need understanding in that sense. So many people think that they can get through life without it. And the truth is, we can't and we won't. Augustine of Hippo said this, he said, faith is to believe what we do not see and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. All of a sudden there is, oh, now it makes sense. Now that situation has meaning to me. So the first thing that happens is we get faith defined. And I've given you a little bit of insight into this Faith must have an object. You have to have faith in something. Faith without an object is faith in nothing. Then it is just happy thoughts. It would be faith in faith. You see, if you have faith in me to be able to write you a million-dollar check, you have false faith. Amen? (laughs) It's just simply not happening. Well, the object would be me. I have no capacity to do that. You could have all the faith in the world that I'm going to write you a check for a million dollars. It's impossible because the object of your faith is me. In the very same way, if you have an infinite object, his name is God, with infinite capacity, with infinite ability, and you have faith in him, you may not see what it is that you're asking for, but he has infinite ability to deliver based on who he is. Faith has to have an object. Our faith is placed in God. Specifically through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we have access to God the Father. 
And so our faith does have an object. So it's not just wishful thinking. You see, God's actually described a little bit about himself. He said, I have created the heavens and the earth. So what a physicist might believe today that doesn't know the Lord, though there are a lot of physicists who believe the Lord, but one who doesn't know the Lord is going to say, well, sometime in the distant past, about 13.7 billion years ago, there was nothing except for this ball of all of the universe's matter called the singularity. That singularity somehow exploded in an ever-expanding way and has created all of the rest of the matter in the universe. Now, if you know a little bit about physics, you know that explosions don't generally generate any type of order. They generate chaos. God simply said, I did it. And I did it from nothing. You know what physicists have never come up with? Is where did the singularity come from? Because if you really think about it, it also has to have a creator. Because nothing plus nothing or from nothing equals, guess what? Nothing. How does this begin? That's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In other words, there's conviction of the evidence that's before you. When I look at the universe, I go, there must be a God. The unbelieving person goes, I hope there's not a God. Because I don't believe in him. My faith has substance. My faith has reason, but my faith does not prove everything. It proves enough to provide me evidence that I'm on the right track. Faith has evidence. My own changed life, my own mind that's being renewed day by day and transformed into the image of Jesus, the things in other people's lives, the ruined marriages that have been restored, the children brought back to their parents, the countless healed diseases, all these things that we go, there's really no reason for that. But there's an invisible God that we love and trust who has given us reason to believe. And so he gave us some evidence and he gave us some substance to our faith. But you can no more talk someone into being a Christian then you can talk someone out of being a Christian. You either believe by faith or you don't believe by faith. I can't give you enough evidence to, to answer every one of your questions. I can give you some evidences. I just did. I believe the Big Bang Theory does not ultimately make sense as a reason for the cosmology of the universe. Scientifically, I believe it doesn't make sense. I believe it is an explanation by very brilliant people. But generally, it's because they don't want to believe the alternative, and that is there's an infinite God that created everything. But when you look at the evidence, I just challenge you. Come 4th of July, grab an M80, throw it in a soda can with a couple of crickets and see what happens. You're going to lose the can and the crickets, okay? They're not going to get more organized. They're certainly not going to turn into a rabbit. Chaos has always been destructive. Faith starts with believing God's character. He is who he says he is, does what he says he does. And it is believing his promises that only he can do what he says he can do. There is no place else to turn to. There's no, do you know this? There's no other world religion that actually promises you heaven. There isn't one. They talk about it. They talk about some form of it. But it is belief in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord 
that Jesus himself said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you might be also. I have to believe that by faith. I haven't seen heaven. I didn't get a brochure, no YouTube video about heaven. Right? But I believe it's real because Jesus said so. That's good enough. If I'm trusting that there is an eternity, that I can't explain everything physically, and that the things that I experience in my own life, did you know that your thoughts are non-material? You see, we, we kind of think like thoughts are like information. That there's little tiny tidbits and you just put them in a jar and you collect them. Your thoughts are non-material. They don't actually, they're not made of anything, if that makes sense. And yet, I'm pretty sure most of you can think. Can you explain why? You absolutely can't. So you actually believe that you are thinking right now. Right? (laughs) You see where I'm going with this? You express faith all day, every day. Your body is made up of voluntary and involuntary reflexes. Did you know that? That some of those involuntary reflexes are the very ones that keep you alive, like your impulse to breathe? You don't sit around. You don't get up in the morning and go, man, man, I'm going to practice right now. Okay, now I've got to do that at least 60, 70 times a minute. You don't. Why? Because it's programmed into your DNA. And we don't have any idea how that programming got there. No doctor does. They have theories. You have faith. You believe that when you get up, without thinking about it, you're going to breathe all day, every day. And oh, by the way, you're even going to breathe when you're asleep. You ever thought through that one? The whole rest of your body is effectively comatose. But parts of your body keep working like your heart. It's like, well, we're going on a break right now. All of a sudden, you're like, your aorta, well, we're just off today. They call that an arrhythmia or a myocardial infarction. You usually die from those things. Your body just does it. Who put that programming there? Your faith has substance. Your faith has evidence. And it's well placed. Truth is, faith pleases God. Notice verse 2, verse 3. As you think on these things, imagine how the Lord would be speaking to us in this time. God gives his approval to the people of old in those days because of their faith. They didn't know a thing compared to what we know today. I mean, they were very primitive people. Doesn't mean that they weren't intelligent. They were just primitive. You know, Abraham didn't have an iPhone. He couldn't Google search the pastor while he's teaching to see if he was correct. I just got a guy send me an email. You know, I just I was Googling you while you were teaching, and I'm going, well, thank you very much. Was I right? <laughs> it's like, faith. Think of how huge this is. This is one of those big ticket items in your mind. God gave approval to those people, even though they, did, they don't know what we know. Knowledge has so increased in the last couple hundred years that it's mind-boggling. It doubles roughly every five to seven years now. Total knowledge, all accumulated knowledge of the entire world doubles about every five to seven years now. Things that we know. And yet, we still have no idea why the images that go into our eyes, which are upside down and backwards, get righted somehow by the wiring in our brain. Think about it. Why do you see in color? It's not evolutionarily beneficial. 
be much better if you saw in black and white. It takes a lot less energy. So if something was designed by a mindless process, you would think it would stay pretty simple if it worked. Faith is necessary. I just believe there's a good God that wants us to see beautiful sunsets. That he enjoys color. He created it. He enjoys it in us as human beings, and he enjoys it in his creation. Amen? Look around the room. Seriously, look around the room. God made us like this. It's because he's good. He loves this. He looks at us, and he goes, that's my kids. Every last one of us. Praise the Lord. You know, I wonder sometimes if the world actually gets that message. I wonder if the church in America gets that message. Or whether we're so content on the garbage that's going on in our world and setting ourselves one on top of each other and against each other that we forget that God made us the way we are. It takes faith to believe in God's plan. How marvelous is this plan? Remember that the Bible actually has already told us, the writer of Hebrews told us, without, that, that those, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do what needed to be done. We had a problem. It was a whole lot deeper than the blood of bulls and goats. So if works could save you, blood of bulls and goats would have, but it can't. So faith becomes an essential in the life of every believer. Faith itself pleases God. And so we get some examples of this before we get to one of the more important verses in your Bible. Notice verse 4, by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now, let me just be the first one to tell you as a pastor, I haven't got a clue all of the processes by which this happened. Somebody asked me, well, how, how did Abel know? How did God know? How did we, we're not told. We don't know all of the tidbits and details about why Cain and Abel ended up the way they are. There's no psychological study found in Scripture. There isn't anything where, you know, one of them was just smarter. One of them had a, you know, a better connection to mom and dad. They weren't deprived of, you know, their family unit. We, we don't know. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. The first family of the scriptures has a murderer in it. That's what I know. The first family of the scriptures had a murderer in it. That should tell you something about the heart of man. That's why Jesus said, no, nah, it's what's inside of you that's the problem. It's not, it's not all the other stuff that we like to blame it on. It's actually the heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked, and who can know it? And if there's no transformation internally, then externally you're going to act out on those things. Faith was the answer for Cain and Abel. One had it, one didn't. They both got the same upbringing in the same family. One of them turned into a murderer. One of them was a victim. Hmm. Genesis 4.10 says, Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. You see, no one in heaven was lacking understanding in what happened. God knew exactly what occurred. And here's this righteous man, Abel. Cain's a farmer. I'm sure his sacrifice looked a lot better. Okay, let's just go there. You might even say maybe Cain was like a, the world's first horticulturalist. He did topiary. Maybe he was a florist. We don't know. But for point of conversation... He was a farmer. On the other hand, 
Abel was a shepherd. His sacrifice was bloody, gross, awful. Hmm. What's God after in that scenario? He's obviously not looking at the beauty of the offering, is he? He's not looking at the pretty flower arrangement. He's looking at the blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Without acknowledging who we are and the need for a redemption of our souls, then we just all go around making nice flower arrangements. We just paint it pretty. We make it nice. We clean up the outside. The very thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you guys are like whitewashed sepulchers. You paint the outside of the tomb, which was kind of beneficial in the Jewish community, because you didn't ever want to accidentally step on a grave because it was unclean. But that outside of that tomb would shine bright in the sun. When you travel to Jerusalem today and you look at the Mount of Olives, more than half of it is a cemetery and it just shines in the sun. It's like it, it's so, you need sunglasses if you're up there. You're like whitewashed sepulchers, but inside there are dead men's bones. God cares about what's on the inside. He's always done that, and it takes faith to change that. You see, works can change the outside. Your works can change the way you look to other people, but they can't fool God. So your beautiful flower arrangement you make out of your life, the painting of it, the trivial Christian things, the stuff that you say to try and Prove to other people that you're actually a believer. God's not fooled by any of it. He can tell the difference between a flower arrangement and that which costs blood. The faith of Abel is the first one. The next one is the faith of Enoch. You can kind of see why this is called the hall of faith or I like to call it the great heroes of faith. These are all people whose faith are noted in Scripture. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Some of you are probably thinking, well, given the way the world's going right now, could I sign up for that plan? (laughs) And he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now hang on to that thought because verse 6 explains it for us. But Enoch was a righteous man. And so he didn't experience death. I sometimes wonder, and again I'll have to ask the Lord when I get there. Lord, did you just take those people home because they were too good for this earth? Sometimes I wonder when children die if they were just too precious to leave here in this mess. I don't know. I'm going to ask when I get there. I don't know. Sometimes the Lord chooses to take people who are terminally ill and he saves others. Some people live very short lives that you think, oh, they left way too soon. But from God's perspective, there is an appointment in heaven and he knows exactly why one person goes and one person stays. For Enoch, I almost have to believe that Enoch was just simply too good for this earth. He was just a righteous guy. And he wasn't, he wasn't to be left here and God wasn't into seeing him suffer. And so the Lord took him home. I'll ask when I get there. The reason I speculate a little bit on this There is a book, it's a pseudepigraphal book, which is outside of the canon of Scripture. It's written during the intertestamental period, those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. And that book is actually quoted by Jude in verse 14. But we do know that Enoch lived by faith. Because the Old Testament says he walked with God and then he was not. What a, how'd you like to have that on your tombstone? (laughs) He walked with God and then he wasn't. 
That's about as good a thing as you can say, amen? You know, it's not he walked with God except, or he walked with God but. He walked with God and then he didn't. He was gone. Notice the faith that's described, verse 6. Because without that kind of faith, there is no pleasing God. And without faith, he was commended, in verse 5, as one who lived by faith. He pleased God, right? See verse 5? Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. Notice what verse 6 says. For without faith, it is impossible to, here it comes again, please God. In other words, what pleased God the most was so evidenced in Enoch's life that Enoch's, in essence, obituary says he actually had so much faith that he pleased God. And without that kind of faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because you are saved by grace, don't miss that, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, through the vehicle of your salvation is what? Faith. It's grace that saves you, it's God's unmerited favor, but the vehicle that gets you there, the car that takes you to the place that you need to go, is faith. Without faith, you can't believe. Because believing by its very understanding in our human minds requires that you take something that you cannot see and you act on it as if you can. That kind of faith. You see, I have to have faith that Jesus is in order for me to believe that he's Savior and Lord. That he's promised heaven to those who will believe in him. Those things are the, the essence of our salvation. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, that faith that we now have allows us to actually approach God. What was the problem with the Jewish people? The only way to approach God was through a mediator. That mediator in practice and principle, only went in one day a year on Yom Kippur. And so here is this beautiful picture of what we now have that the Jewish people never had under the law. Because of the faith that I now have, it's actually possible for me to please God all the time. It doesn't mean I am practically pleasing to God all the time, but as far as God sees me in Christ Jesus, he sees the righteousness of his Son because I have believed by faith and thereby I have God the Father's approval. Mind-boggling truth. That I have approval because of Jesus Christ, my Savior, by having faith in what he did, not what I did for myself. I did nothing to warrant my salvation. If anything, I did lots of things to not warrant being saved. And so did all of you. I was exactly as Paul said to the church at Ephesus, once dead in my trespasses and sins. But he hath made me alive. Amen? Then it goes on to say that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. There's a purpose and a plan to all that God does, but it's a life of faith. You have to begin at the cross. And if you don't begin at the cross, you don't have the right kind of faith. If you don't start with what saves, then you're not one of God's kids. Because there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It's at the name of Jesus. There's, there isn't a, there's not a plan B. Amen? The reason I'm focusing in on this at this time is very simple. You start with faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the rest of your faith grows out of that. The faith for those things that you're praying for, those loved ones that you're praying over, the things that you want to see changed in our country, the things that you want to see changed in your neighborhood, in your marriage, 
the diseases you want God to touch, without the faith in Christ, it's impossible to please God, and thereby you don't have access to God personally. And while God in practical means can hear your prayers, the Bible plainly says your sins have separated you so he does not hear them. So without salvation, you don't have access to go directly to God to pray for anything. It's moot. God in his providence does all kinds of wonderful good things, even to evil people. But only the believer has access to God the Father. Only the believer has Jesus interceding in prayer before the throne of God. Only the believer has the right to call God Father in the first place. Abba. Dad. You see, the life of faith begins at the cross. That's why it says without faith it's impossible. If you don't have the faith necessary to say yes to Jesus, all of the rest of your faith would be moot. It would be meaningless because it would lack an object. The object of my faith is God. I have faith that Jesus Christ has restored my relationship with God the Father. That his righteous deeds done on the cross on my behalf has forgiven my sin. God no longer sees it. And so I now have a restored right relationship with God. It all starts there. That's why that faith is so important. You don't have that. You don't have anything. Oh, you might have money. You might have a business. You might have fame. You might have fortune. You, you may be popular. But all of that, one day, is not going to get you into heaven. Without faith, it's impossible to have happen what happened to Enoch. Enoch was translated directly to paradise. If you want that, you have to have faith in Christ. There is no other way. Finally, it ends with a picture of our salvation, faith in the faith of Noah. If you have your elements of communion, you might want to search for those. If you need them, if you'd simply raise your hand, we'll have one of the ushers bring you the elements of communion if you didn't receive them when you came in. While that's happening, by faith, verse 7, Noah being divinely warned of things not seen. What things? Well, it was about to rain a lot. Kind of like what happened last week in Northern California. It was going to rain a lot. A lot more, in fact. At this time, remember the Bible says that it had not rained on the earth, that the earth was watered by dew every day. There were no large bodies of water, so far as we're told. And so Noah was given a task. I want you to build an ark. I want you to build a vessel of salvation. And all who enter into it by guess what? Faith. Why was it faith? Let me give you a couple of things. It took 120 years to build it. Imagine having that puppy parked in your front yard. You're like, so what you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? Well, it's a, it's a big ship because it's going to rain and there's going to be enough water to float this thing. And as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, they're all going, whew, <laughs> Noah's been uh, in the vineyard too much. It took faith. You think Noah was ridiculed by his neighbors for having that kind of faith? Believing God? That there was only going to be one way of salvation. How many other arks existed? None. There was one. Interestingly enough, it was covered on the outside with pitch. The Hebrew word, kofar. The same as atonement. That inside the ark, you were safe by faith 
and you were atoned for. So while they're bobbing out there on the sea, and they're looking out there, remember they were out there for close to a year, and Noah's sending out the doves, and he's coming back with nothing. You think maybe their faith got tested? By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to one thing, one thing only, faith. The ark was a picture of the cross. It's a picture of Christ. It was a picture of an atoning sacrifice. It was a picture of I am the way and the truth and the life and you've got to believe by faith in me because there isn't going to be another ark. There's going to be one. What was said about the world during that day? That it had grown continually evil, that the heart of man was evil. How many people could have been saved? Anyone who believed by faith and got in the boat. Amen? No exclusion. Noah begged his neighbors year after year after year, I'm building an ark, you need to get in. He made it big enough for them to do so, by the way. Who got spared? All the innocent animals. Two by two. We'll take care of them. They had no part in this. When I created the world, all things were good. So I'm putting my goodness inside of that boat. And you can either get in with the goodness or you can perish. There's your choice. Great hero of faith. Was Noah perfect? The dude was a mess. He didn't always do everything right. But he had the one necessary thing. Faith in God's plan. Faith in God's plan. This is my only plan. I don't have another plan. This is my only son. I don't have another son. My plan is that he would die on Calvary's cross in your place. That the chastisement for your peace would be placed upon him and by his stripes you would be healed. And if you believe on his name, what he said from the cross will be true for you. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Church, we're people of faith. We're not just people of knowledge. The life of faith, as Oswald Chambers said, is not always the mounting up with wings of eagles, but it's a life of walking without fainting. Because faith never knows where it's going to be led. We only know the one who's leading. As I thought on this this morning, I wonder how many of us can use a boost of faith in the world that we're in. I know I can. So I'll start with me. If you take your elements of communion on the top, there's a matzah in there, communion wafer. And I want to pray for us for faith because truth is, this is a piece of matzah. It's unleavened bread. If we're just eating a piece of unleavened bread, this may be one of the dumbest things that the church ever does. Seriously, think about it. If this is just a piece of bread in that sense, by faith, I believe this represents the body of Christ that was broken for me. I believe that his body was broken for me personally. That what I deserve to have happen to me happened to him instead. This is a representation of what Jesus did in the courtyard of Pilate and by allowing his body to be broken on the cross. And Jesus himself said, this is my body, 
which is broken for you, as often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And for the very same reasoning, remember, faith has substance. Faith has evidence. It's the evidence of things not seen. I I wasn't in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago at Golgotha. I didn't see Jesus crucified. I didn't hear the seven sayings from the cross. But I believe him. I believe what he said. I believe with everything that's in me, it's true. I believe what Jesus said after supper was, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of sin and as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Lord, increase our faith. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice of your own son. Jesus, thank you that you held nothing back. You didn't consider that a robbery of your goodness or blessings or being when you went to the cross. It was the greatest gift that you could give to each of us. And Lord, we believe by faith that your blood has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and that your body paid the price The beating that should have happened to us was given to you. And God the Father saw that and was satisfied. And so you said, it is finished. We believe that. You said, forgive them. We believe that. You said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. We believe that. We believe that you have gone to prepare a place for us who believe. And so, Lord, increase our faith. Help us to walk in that faith every moment of every day of our lives. God, we thank you for the faith to believe and now give us the faith to live every moment of every day for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.